0: Hello, I'm Ed Blount, Senior Research Fellow at Fordham University in New York City. I'm going to spend a few minutes discussing the dangers of allowing risk management systems and regulatory reforms to rely on incomplete academic models. Then I'm going to describe how the RMA and one of its member banks used better research to refine the public's understanding of the real financial markets. But I'm going to start my story in Moscow in 1992, just a few months after the fall of the Soviet Union. Apartment dwellers in the Soviet capital found that the shelves in their shops were even more barren than in the worst days of World War II, so they rushed to the streets with their family heirlooms. They bartered those valuables for whatever hard currency they could get to buy food on the black market. That's the ultimate fire sale market, and that's what regulators fear might happen With assets in the financial markets if we ever have a recurrence of the 2008 Lehman collapse. To contain that fire sale risk regulators have proposed rules for banks such as the net stable funding ratio and the liquidity coverage ratio and for money funds they've given managers the option in certain circumstances to invoke redemption gates and use floating net asset values. But they've also threatened to designate large fund companies as systemically important financial institutions, or SIFIs, subject to capital requirements and other constraints. Their logic is based on the theory of first mover advantage, in which sophisticated investors are said to redeem their shares in a poorly performing fund at full value before others can appreciate the increasing risks. According to the theory, the other investors suddenly follow, creating a cascade of redemptions and forced sales of fund assets. In effect, it's a run on the bank, except for mutual funds. The US Treasury is now considering new rules to limit the risk of fire sales or to prevent these first-mover-driven sell-offs. However, in contravention to that theory, the ICI reported that, shortly after the UK's shocking Brexit vote, investors redeemed just 1% of the more than $300 billion now held in US investment grade and high yield bond funds. The first mover theorists would have expected massive outflows from those funds after the shock to the currency and fixed income markets, but it didn't happen. According to ICI, the Investment Company Institute, the latest data suggests that the effect of redemptions to any one fund after Brexit may well have been offset by reinvestments in more balanced or better protected funds. Simply put, Sales were followed by buys, and that allowed the fund sector to reach equilibrium, perhaps with lower asset values, but without a selling panic at fire sale prices. ICI argues that academics whose fire sale research focuses only on sales tend to miss that equilibrating dynamic. In fact, I would agree, and I would add that it would be not the first time that academic studies with a distorted viewpoint were used to try to influence academic and regulatory behavior. In the late 1990s, the J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, in a series of collaborative studies with Aztec Consulting, sought to respond to research theorists who alleged short sellers had driven down prices for those investors who lent their securities to the shorts. Just as with recent ICI analysis, the Chase-Aztec rebuttal presented real-world data in a multi-vector context to show that some preconceptions that drive academic theories, while they may be intuitively appealing, are often quite wrong. In the Chase-Aztec study, any negative effect on prices from short selling was shown to have been neutralized by the price support arising from reinvestment of the proceeds. That is, many short sellers immediately reinvested their sale proceeds into purchases of the second leg of a pairs trade. And even if the cash wasn't put to work immediately, the short sellers eventually had to return the shares they had borrowed through purchases, which again offset the earlier downward pressure. In a 2007 update to that study, the Center for the Study of Financial Market Evolution in Washington used global securities finance data to show attendees at an IMF World Bank conference in Moscow that prices for Russian securities were actually being supported by short sellers. Even though it may have been counterintuitive, the dynamics held true even for emerging markets, and even when there were no blankets of heirlooms for sale. In an even more recent empirical study, the CSFME, the Center for the Study of Financial Market Evolution, used data provided by members of the Risk Management Association in a robust rebuttal to allegations that hedge funds were borrowing stocks in the securities lending markets for the express purpose of manipulating the outcome of corporate annual meetings. That study found that the spike in borrowings that academics had noticed before the record date was actually the result of loan recalls by the original fund investors in order to vote their own shares. It was not borrowings by hedge funds intending to manipulate. The CSFME RMA study used a much deeper pool of data provided by eight lending agent RMA members, while the original academic study focused only on borrowings, not returns, and used only two data providers. In all of these cases, the academic studies did not go far enough, partly because their single-vector models did not have access to a sufficiently complete set of data upon which to base their conclusions. Again, they only focused on security sales or loans, not on buys or repayments. In many cases, similarly incomplete models are being used today to argue in favor of stringent reform regulations. So it's perhaps not too surprising that regulators are viewing the latest market data as possible unintended adverse consequences from those regulations. I describe many of these in my September 2016 article for the RMA Journal. Going forward, regulators should find that multi-vector studies with robust data will conclude that, instead of the possibility that the market infrastructure is fragile, the opposite is true. That is, that markets are sufficiently resilient to absorb sales, even in large scale, without damage to the overall market system. And maybe researchers will also find that the rebalancing of investor accounts within bond sectors is just one of many unanticipated beneficial consequences that come from otherwise stressed markets. In any event, the takeaway from all of these studies is that one vector of market activity, whether it's asset sales or securities loans, is just not sufficient to model the real world. In each of the multi-vector cases, analysts use not just sales or borrows, but also buys and repayments to estimate net flows and show that the market disruption was not nearly as bad as that anticipated by the single-vector theorists. In his blog, the ICI's Stevens echoed President William Dudley of the New York Federal Reserve Bank, who, in September 2015, invited new research into the dynamics of the market system. We hope that the research, if it's conducted, be completed in a multi-vector model and that the results be made available before regulators have to conclude their final rules. Thank you for your time and your attention.